This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal episode. We're going on a ride-along with Carlton Reed. And I, right. I said ride-along. I'm, I'm thinking that's more if, you, uh, if you're in the backseat in a, in a patrol vest in a cop car. But really, he's just a transportation expert. Uh, and he is uh, he, he's, uh, uh, what you were saying, 30 years. Carlton is out of England. He's He's uh, been writing about transportation for 30 years. He's a historian of transportation, but he's also a futurist. I mean, sure. we are talking to Carlton today about the World Economic Forum's survey in which they talked to 346 transportation experts to find out what the future of transportation looks like over the next 30 to 50 years. And this is kind of a, a far-reaching conversation because we talk about the future. We also talk about the past and how the, the rise of the car and right. car infrastructure informs what's going to happen in the next 30 to 50 years. And this is kind of interesting from a number of questions, not least uh, – in terms of where you'll want to invest or live in Vancouver? Yeah, well, this brings up a lot of questions in my mind. One is uh, we've had a lot of developer, mom, pa investors on the program. Everyone thinks about transportation when they're deciding not only where to live, but where to invest. And this is definitely the future of, of investing or future of transportation and where you do want to invest. And you're going to be able to make a decision after listening to today's episode. But it also raises two other questions. 
are all historians futurists in trying to understand the this past is, to inform the is, present? Yes. And is history the most rigorous discipline? Because <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to bring it back. Uh, we already answered that question a few episodes. We're, we're turning into the uh, Vancouver History <laughs> podcast here, but um, yeah. It is. It is the most rigorous. And the, uh, of the, the answer to both those questions is yes and yes. <laughs> um, but what else, Matt? So we're talking to Carlton today about the transport transformation that's underway right. already. Some would say a transport revolution. So stay tuned for that. This is a great conversation. He's just a really interesting guy. Yeah. I feel like this is a, a lot of fun talking. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of fun. This conversation definitely was. Yes. And uh, yeah, that was the oddest way to say that. But we also, we should bring up the Sellers Club and before we cut to this interview, this is the hottest club in town. This is where you get top resources for selling your property for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. And really, Matt, uh, we've had a lot of people sign up for these uh, resources. These are action plans are, is what they are. Yeah, this isn't pie in the sky stuff. This no. is step, step one, two, three, four in how to get your home ready. And they're based on what we're doing. We've sold hundreds of homes in the greater Vancouver area and uh, we can help you get your place sold. But if you want our resources, we're happy to share them as well. Absolutely. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up there for the live wire. And that's where you can click on the sold plan or send an email to info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and we'll send over volume one. You don't want to miss it. But Adam, last but not least, we have our sponsor this week. We are sponsored by Oakwin Realty. This is, I would say, dare say the fastest growing real estate brokerage in the city. There's a reason why. Great resources, great people, great culture. Uh, it's it's a place where we hang our hat. Very impressed with Oakland. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. This is definitely the best brokerage in town. So if you are thinking, if you're a seasoned agent, a new agent, or an agent looking for a change, definitely check out oakwind.com slash join and uh, type in VRP2020. VRP2020, tell them we sent you. There's a big surprise for the VREP community. That's VRP. 20, Missing an E. 2020, VRP2020. Oakwin.com slash join. You will not be disappointed. That is for sure. But maybe we should cut to our conversation with Carlton here. This was uh, this was a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Our interview with Carlton Reed. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Carlton Reed, senior contributor at Forbes.com and also author of Roads Were Not Built for Cars and Bike Boom, published by Island Press. How are you doing, Carlton? I'm doing good, and thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, no, thanks so much for taking the time. I, we we know you're in, in England in Newcastle. I'm not sure what time it is there, but hopefully it's... Uh... Hopefully it's a uh, reasonable hour. Yeah, not too early or too late. I'm, I'm not in pajamas. I'm kind of, I'm decent. So we're, we're all fully clothed here. We're fine. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Carlton. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah. I no, I'm, I'm only guessing. Can you maybe start by, uh, by telling us a little bit about yourself? Oh, how long have you got? Come on. Um, <laughs> no, no, everything you said in the intro was good. That's that's fine. What else do you need to know? I mean, I'm a journalist, basically, and a, 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 an author and a historian. And historian, I should say. Always put that A-N in. Um, and I've been doing this for, oh, so long. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's at least 32 years, I think it is. I've been... I've been being paid to do what I do, which is unbelievable that uh, somebody pays me to do what I really quite enjoy. So 
that, that's cool. Right. And uh, yeah, one of the lucky ones for sure. Uh, it, and you focus on transportation, correct? Yeah, I kind of started in the bicycle world. And I've, I've stuck to being as much as the bicycle world as I can, because I like bicycles. I kind of think you can, you can, you can guess that. Um, but for uh, Forbes.com, I will do other forms of transport, but not long haul. So I, I, I was brought on board uh, to kind of do urban transportation, which like, you know, e-scooters and kind of last mile transportation. So this is like a growing trend. You know, we're not talking about not just uh, pandemic. We, we don't travel uh, long distance on airlines anymore. But just in general, that, that was also a kind of a, a, a trend that, you know, intra-city transport rather than doing it by a car is becoming kind of important. And so I was brought on board uh, from a bicycling background to then do other forms of transportation rather than just bicycles, which is kind of nice that I don't have to just do bicycles. And yet I still gravitate back. I almost always just go and do bicycle stories anyway. <laughs> uh, so, so Carlton, uh, part of the reason we wanted to have you on is um, we, we've we've just reviewed. We were just reading your your recent article in Forbes. Bicycles and buses will be uh, future's dominant modes of urban mobility. Predict three hundred and forty six transport experts. Um, you've been covering now transportation for around 30 years. Has the past three decades been a positive or negative story, in your opinion? It's changed and it hasn't changed in that, of course, the, the, the dominant mode of transportation pretty much everywhere, certainly North America, um, as it is here in, in my part of Europe, other parts of Europe, it's a bit different. Uh, it, it's it's the motor car and, and that hasn't hasn't changed a huge amount, yet at the same time, it's changed completely. I mean, I'm doing stories every other day almost, it seems, on Paris. Paris is just rapidly transforming itself from, a, you know, a really car-dominant... Anybody's been to Paris in the last 20, 30 years and you go now and you haven't been for a while, you'll be so shocked at, uh, at how uh, Paris and the current mayor, Anne Hidalgo is transforming that city. And I think what she's doing is very similar to what many other mayors are having to grapple with. And that's, there's too many people in cities and everybody wants to get around. And if you all do it in cars, nobody gets anywhere. So you've got to somehow uh, have a, a, an intra-city solution to transport. And of course, cars are fantastic. I've got a car, but I certainly don't you know, do every single short journey in a car because it's just, it's crazy for me personally because it would take me so long and also crazy, you know, in a tragedy of the commons uh, type thing for for the city too and the planet. You know, just thinking, we've, we've talked to uh, a number of people who've cited Paris recently uh, and kind of the transformation going on there. One of the, one of the things in, in, in Vancouver, uh, I feel like we're, we're undergoing a lot of changes towards uh, towards different modes of transportation and kind of uh, traffic calming streets and things like that. And the the politics of it seem um, a little bit challenging. Just in, and I don't know how much you focused on Paris, but politically, uh, does the mayor there have the full support of the city? Like, I'm always interested in how these things take place so quickly. 
She's a socialist. Um, so you'll know from your French politics, I'm sure, that, that, that you know, the, the French Revolution was kind of a bit socialist there. So she has that going for her. Um, and, and yes, she has, she has almost complete power. The, the mayors in, in European cities you know, tend to have jurisdiction mostly over transport, sometimes police, sometimes, you know, fire services, all these other different things. And then there's some services they just they, they, they can't touch. But transport is always the thing they can they can make a difference in. And if they've got like a four year term to begin with, maybe an eight year term, if they do a really good job of it, they've got to make some pretty uh, drastic changes to make their mark. So Anne Hidalgo definitely made some amazing changes in her first four years. And then in her second four years, is then able to fulfil the promises she made in the election campaign. So just today has confirmed that the promise of removing half, literally half of the surface parking spaces in uh, Paris is going to go ahead. So this wasn't just, you know, a, a pledge that year could be, could be um, you know, jettisoned as soon as she, she gets into power. She's going to do that. That was announced today. Um, so that was, you know, I've got 140,000 surface car parking spaces. That's going to be reduced uh, to 70,000. And yes, that's leading to an awful lot of uh, political friction for her. But then she, she and her deputy mayor just point out, look, only 13% of Parisians have got cars. This is actually a small minority but it's 50% of the space in Paris is given over to motorists. So why should 13% get half of the whole of the city? So when you kind of put it in those kind of terms, it suddenly becomes an, a, an equity issue. And then, of course, a socialist is going to be pretty strong on that. Right. And that kind of leads me to, to think of a of a, another question, just because your, your, I guess, hat as a, an historian um, – it is striking, and we've talked about kind of these numbers on the show before, but that, you know, in Paris specifically, that, uh, you know, only 13% of the city actually own cars, and yet so much of the infrastructure is built around uh, around car culture, right? You mentioned in the in the article, and I don't know if you speak about it in your book, but the this idea of... Uh, the automobile as a dominant mode as kind of a as an important history of the 20th century and one that had fits and starts but was but was really successful so it wasn't like a an assured thing that that cars would dominate basically the globe or cities around the globe uh for certain right can we talk a little bit about that story and about how that as a template can be used to kind of change modes of transportation moving forward Sure. I mean, it's definitely it was a construct in that if, if, if my great friend, um, uh, University of Virginia professor uh, Peter uh, Norton, who, who wrote a great book called uh, Fighting Traffic, he's discussed this from, from the pedestrian angle. And I was actually speaking to him today. So he's refreshed my memories on on this in that, you know, the, the majority of people in the 1920s wanted all cars to have speed governors, for instance, wanted all cars to be doing, you know, no more than 20 miles an hour did not want um, their cities to be overtaken by cars, but uh, motor industry interests over it took you know it took a long time. It wasn't something that happened overnight. Like the the, the supposed love affair that North Americans have with the motor car, 
you know, it, it was not there in the 1920s. Uh, it had to be built up over a long time. A lot of expensive, behind the scenes, quite dodgy lobbying went on of cities. An awful lot of corruption uh, went on to get people to accept motor cars in cities. And then, of course, we know what happened, you know, that the hegemony of the car did eventually come in. But it was over uh, massive protests. And we we've, only historians remember this. You know, people do not remember that there were massive protests about against motor cars. And the uh, motordom is, is kind of the, the way Peter Norton describes um, this group of, of motoring interests. It was motordom that have told the history of of the dominance of the car in cities as though, you know, people welcomed cars. They absolutely did not welcome cars. Um, they eventually won out. We all know that. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's probably a short um, lifespan, to tell the truth. From a, from a, like, a glacial point of view, sure. the reign of cars is going to be this 120-year blip all of the indicators that we can see, and I guess this is one of the reasons why I'm on your show, uh, to talk about that, you know, the motor car seems so dominant now. Railways seemed so dominant to people you know, in the 1910s. Uh, in the, you know, 18th century, canals seemed so dominant. Nothing would take their place. Forms of transport in cities, in countries, they change. And motor cars, there's absolutely no reason why uh, motor cars will be dominant in cities within even 20 years. It, it could be that fast. Wow. I love that. I love that kind of historical perspective. Uh, you know, thinking about it in kind of 100 or, or 150 or 200 year lifespans. Um, that, yes, yeah, things change so quickly. But it, it, at this moment, it seems almost impossible to imagine. So, so what, so I, and I, I think that's, it's interesting too, like that history is told kind of by the victor, um, in mm -hmm. that, in that way that, um, it, you know, the, the narrative is that cars have always been accepted. What, what replaces cars? And, and then is it, is, is the bicycle kind of the big mode of transportation that comes next? Or is it, is it public transport? Well, if you just go back into that, that, you know, kind of like history lens, well, the people um, who were championing motoring in you know the 1890s, they had no idea that this little thing that they were creating would get so big. You know, it was in, it was railways. Railways were the big thing at the time, and you know, in you know the the Fords of this world when they first started getting involved, you know, they really had no idea that it would ever get. So, so massive. So basically, nobody knew motoring would would get that big. So it'd be the same for the next form of transport that gets big. We probably have got no idea what it is right now. I don't think it'll be driverless cars. That's always the thing that people say. Oh, it must be driverless cars. But just just think about it. You know, what is a driverless car? It's something where you get in, you put your feet up, you get taken somewhere. You don't have to drive. You arrive there nice and refreshed. You can read a newspaper. You can read your your uh, your tablet. You can watch a movie. Do whatever you want. It, that's a taxi. That's been with us for 120 years. Driverless cars are just such not a revolutionary technology. They are old technology, just with a little bit of a computer uh, input. So I very much doubt driverless cars 
because uh, they're the same shape, size, heft as a, as a standard car. Uh, they're not going to be what's going to be the, the next transport revolution. The answer to, to that question is, I don't know. Nobody knows. But, you know, ask me in 30 years time and we'll go, can you remember that little thing that, you know, nobody thought was very important and everybody laughed at? Yeah, that's now dominant everywhere. <laughs> and it, that was what motoring was like. Motoring was this fringe, weird only for the elites, you know, this would never take off. And it did take off. And nobody, really, literally nobody, well, maybe one or two people, but pretty much all the experts at the time did not predict motoring would would go to the size as it went to. So our future is, we don't know, basically. Um, but we can't look at history to tell us what it's going to be because all the other forms of transport that have revolutionised the world we had no inkling of what they were going to be. They just came upon us over a 20, 30-year um, stretch where they completely changed the previous form of transport. It's interesting because when you think about cars, like the automobile industry, it's it's a huge industry. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of lobbying that would happen. Um, I, I'm just thinking about the direction that Vancouver's going as a city, and it, it seems to be kind of moving towards this like multimodal um, kind of transportation. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's people that might take public transportation and then uh, hop on a, 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 a bike share type scenario and, and finish the rest of their commute. But there's, they seem to be putting a lot of emphasis on different modes of transportation. Um, it, do you see, do you see um, like that, that being kind of a direction of like multiple modes of transportation? It's, it's kind of hard to imagine um, that it's not going to be something like an automobile industry that that has the the resources and the means to actually to to become the dominant force uh yeah that that's certainly the, the pretty safe bet in that you've got to have lots of different forms of transport but, but public transit in general is so incredibly efficient um you know why wouldn't you have this uh, for your city it just moves a hell of a lot of people quickly efficiently we have obviously gone through uh, an amazing drop all around the world uh, because of the, the pandemic and, and public transit has been hit probably worse than any other, um, or certainly other form of transport. Um, it, it, it's been almost completely, uh, well, not destroyed because many people, are, many countries are, are, are keeping it going, subsidising it because they know in you know they're going to need it in, in when the pandemic's finished. But public transit in general is on the up and up pretty much everywhere and it just makes sense so what could potentially uh, come along in the, in the future well maybe um, swifter cleverer uh, forms of public transit so individualized tr- transport yes there'll be bicycles yes there'll be like micro cars micro cars is, is very much a um, an upcoming thing um, but these big beer moths you know the suvs of this world they, they've just got no place in the city. They've got fantastic reason to be out in the countryside, uh, you know, on farms and stuff. Great. In cities, not so much. You, you know, you mentioned coronavirus and it does, I guess maybe I'll put it to you this way, is you, you mentioned that public transit has been hit hardest by coronavirus and yet public transit is, you know, is is kind of looked at as part of the savior of of the globe in in a lot of ways uh from an environmental perspective but how does 
coronavirus fit into this this story? Like, is it is there any positives we can take away uh, from from the last six eight months from a transportation perspective? Birdsong. That was a positive in lots of cities. People heard birdsong for the first time. Clean air, that was a positive. Getting around on, in English terms, Shanks's pony. Getting around, you know, with, with on your, your own two feet on a bicycle or by walking, that was a, a, a positive. Not being stuck in traffic jams, you know, for two hours a day. Uh, that was a positive. All of these things, people have, it's opened people's eyes. So the pandemic absolutely showed there is a different way of doing this. You know, we don't have to have um, polluted air. We don't have to have congestion on the streets uh, all the time. We can cycle more. We can walk more. We can get the noise out of cities. You know, this is the, the, you know, we often forget about, you know, the, the, the noise pollution. Never mind um, the particulates pollution of motor cars. Just cars are incredibly noisy. And when people around um, the world could hear birds again, that kind of got a lot of people thinking, like, we, we could change stuff here. And so I think we, we, we very possibly may relapse and we may go to the, the bad old ways. But there are so many people have, have got this spark of thinking, yeah, but it could be different. So the leaders of the future, you know, that they've they've lived through this, so they they know what that was like. I think that could be formative in the next thirty years. Just that experience of not having the hegemony of the car all the time—that's taught people some pretty valuable things. Yeah, I mean that—that's one thing I was I was thinking about um, is thinking back to March or April, I mean, even just wearing masks, right? Like it just seems like there's been such dramatic transformation in the way that we do things here in Vancouver. And, and, uh, and yeah, I think the, it, it it's suddenly the realm of the possible, right? Like that things can change very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vancouver, you, you, you do live in an absolutely fantastic place. So you, you've, <laughs> you have in many ways, you've, you've got it golden. I mean, Vancouver is a beautiful, beautiful city. And uh, you'd certainly want to keep it that way by not building, you know, any more major roads. You know, you've really got to be going, you know, public transit, bicycles. So all the things that you're actually already doing pretty well. I mean, you've got some fantastic um, bike infrastructure. I mean, I've, I've been to Vancouver and it's, it's fantastic to, to, to cycle around, to cycle to Stanley Park and stuff. So you've got some amazing things going for you. Um, uh, you don't have to... To, to you know go the Los Angeles route at all you can absolutely go the Vancouver route which seems to be a pretty good route right right well, that's that's great to hear um, so Carlton maybe moving on to uh, the study from the from the World Economic Forum on uh, transforming transportation can you can you talk it, a it little bit about it was sorry it was, it, well it wasn't the World Economic Forum they they supported it oh they supported um, it. okay they supported it. Uh, there, was, there was a few different uh, organisations that, that 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 supported it. it, it yes, it's that, that's that's the one. I mean, it, it is. It, it's a fascinating report because um, a it's come from the, the the German Foreign Ministry. So this is like a you know it's a major you know uh, source to get something like this uh, to come out from an official government uh, body. But then it's also 
um, it's not just, you know, a couple of people just writing this and you've been commissioned this. This is they asked 346 global experts to just think about the future. Now, before I was saying, you know, experts get these things wrong. So potentially <laughs> what these these experts, you know, they're, when they're extrapolating to the future could make just as many mistakes as the people in the 1890s. Those experts, they, they didn't get the, they didn't guess the car. So just as likely that these experts don't think you know, won't be right when it's bicycles and buses. However, it is pretty likely it's it's a, it's a good extrapolation because we can see it on the ground now. You know, this is not a, a, a wacky extrapolation at all. It's something that you can you can physically see is is happening and is growing. So given it's the fact that it's 346 experts and it's their majority decision of they think buses, you know, public transit in general and bicycles are the future. That's 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 a really interesting um, uh, majority opinion. You know, what strikes me, and this is just thinking, you know, about watching, I don't know if you have the Jetsons uh, in, in <laughs> England, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, the idea of flying cars in the 50s, uh, Elon Musk, of course, now, uh, drones, like all these, uh, all this, uh, basically the idea that technology will will save us. And, and yet, 30 years from now, these guys are talking about uh, pretty tried and true methods of of transportation. Was it was it Shanks Pony? <laughs> Shanks, yeah. Shanks's Pony. Yeah. Shanks's Shanks Pony. Pony. Okay, that was one I never heard. But how how does I always I always try and drop one one kind of uh, Englishism in everywhere I go. I guess how does how do you see uh, technology um, playing a role in in these changing transportation modes. Yeah, and and maybe just to piggyback on that, is it reinventing a technology that already exists or is it you know something something new striving for something new? Well, yeah, buses and bicycles are absolutely nothing new. Of course you can have, you know, lighter, faster, for instance, e-bikes is kind of like the uh, if you wanted a tech solution from from a bicycle point of view, well, it would be e-bikes and e-cargo bikes. They're, they're absolutely a, a growing trend. And then buses and transit, where you can make them cleaner, you can, you can have them contactless. But in essence, both the bicycle, no matter how many batteries you put on them, and the buses, no matter how many you know, anti-pollution um, bits of technology you put on them, they're pretty much 19th century technology, as, of course, are our cars. Cars are 19th century technology as well. Um, so we haven't had anything radical uh, in our streets, in effect, you know, for a good 140 years. And I don't see that. Again, I could be wrong. I, we are missing out on this amazing thing that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be e-scooters. I think that's going to be um, pretty much a, a passing fad. But you could always improve the forms of transport you do have. So buses, public transit and bicycles are improving all the time. So old technologies, but improving incrementally all the time. But the reason they kind of uh, will probably be still with us is because they are so efficient and cars are not efficient. I think that's that's why I'm doing a downer here on cars. It's not because, you know, I'm, I'm pro bus, pro bicycle, anti-car. As I said before, I do have a car. I just see them as pretty inefficient ways of of getting around a city and a bus and a public uh, transit 
And bicycles are incredibly efficient ways of getting around cities. And if you want people to move around, you've got to go with the most efficient methods rather than just, you know, the ones that most people you think of. Most people, it's not most people, but anyway, who you think most people want to use cars. But when you actually look at most global cities, you know, car owners, you know, are actually are not as big as people think. Yeah, and, and maybe as a, a final question, Carlton, you know, you've been doing this a, a long time, kind of covering transportation, and obviously one of the, the major concerns for, I think, everybody is is carbon emissions and, and what's happening with uh, with the planet and how the automobile is tied to that. Are you, uh, are you optimistic about the future of transportation? And, and maybe what are the, the biggest pushbacks or, or drawbacks moving forward? I'll tell you November the 3rd, because um, that could have quite a few um, ramifications for, for the, the, the globe and, and in, 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 in climate um, warming terms and, and climate change. So that, that's the kind of the, the thing that's the, the, the elephant in the room on transport, on virtually everything. We could, we could have discussions on almost every subject and it would have to come back to, to, to climate change. And, you know, you start looking at that and it's very hard to be optimistic about the future unless we make some um, some changes. So the, the, the 346 experts, the project they were working under and commissioned by the German government was called Transport for Under Two Degrees. So it's transport's contribution to the elephant in the room, which doesn't get talked about enough, which is, is uh, climate change. So... If we can make some radical changes to transport and other sectors, transport is only a small uh, contributor to, to, to climate uh, change, then I would then say, well, maybe I'll, I'll become an optimist and I've got to see how it plays out. There are very encouraging signs that uh, we could actually come back from the brink here. Um, but in the next 10 years, we'll... You'll have to come back to me in 10 years' time and, uh, and ask me that when I go again. But I'm, I'm naturally an optimist, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish by saying, yes, I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic because we'll all be on bicycles. Um, <laughs> I, 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 w- I wouldn't force that on everybody. But for those people who want to get around in a city uh, swiftly with a smile on your face, then absolutely try Try a bicycle. If you can't, you don't want to do it because you don't want to tax your legs. You want to, you don't want to be sweaty, etc. Get an electric bike. You know these are these are fun things to uh, to get on. And you want to carry loads of stuff because you know you use your car for trip chaining, and you've got to take your kid to a nursery, and then you've got to go to the supermarket. Okay, get an electric cargo bike. Uh, there is technological solutions out there right now that are also fun. Right. Fantastic. Well, well, thanks so much for your time. That was a, a really interesting conversation. Um, and we'll have you back in 10 years for sure. <laughs> Making that promise today. But in the meantime... Oh, get, get those experts back. They were wrong. <laughs> in the meantime, how can people uh, find out more about uh, what you're doing, Carlton? Uh, if they search on Forbes.com, my, my transportation articles are pretty easy to, to, to find on there. Um, and then Twitter, I'm at Carlton Reed, which is R-E-I-D. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me on.
So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Carlton Reed. Let's just call him a transportation expert and all-around interesting guy. Yeah, really enjoyed that conversation with uh, Carlton, Matt, and uh, a lot of takeaways there for, for everybody who's looking at uh, the future of the city of Vancouver. And it's, it's interesting, when you start looking at progressive cities all around the world, um, it's, you start to see similarities in the direction of planning, right? And I think uh, there's lots of models we can look at to improve not only from a climate change perspective, but also just from uh, community uh, and uh, and 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 make a, a city a thriving city, right? I mean, that's exactly. Thing. Yeah, this is uh, this was. I was kind of left this conversation optimistic and and really excited about the future. So right. So so great talking to Carlton. But what else, Adam, do we have uh, today before we go? I'm also excited about next week's program. If you guys are investors or looking at investing, we have a fantastic episode coming up. We've got a young guy, 25 years old, out of Toronto uh, named Austin Yeh. And uh, he's going to be on our program next week talking about how he's at 20 doors in the Ontario area. And he gives, it's really like a step-by-step unpacking how he's done it. So if you're a young person looking to get into the market, even if you're not a young person. Not a, yeah, you don't just, have to be He young. did this in two years. Two years, 20 doors. He, he's, a, he's a pretty impressive guy. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, and yeah, he's done a lot in the last couple of years. So that's stay coming, tuned for yeah, that. That's next week. week. Yeah, really excited about that one. Uh, what else do we got, Adam? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website for all things real estate related. We have the Sellers Club. Yes. You're going to want to sign up to the Sellers Club. You've heard about this club. It's the hottest club in Vancouver. We also have our weekly mailer, the Livewire. This is where you get stats before anyone else, stats that you're not going to see anywhere else. You get deal of the month. You get new episodes. It is the one-stop shop. There's no reason why you don't want to be on this list. We also have the tried and true private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS to look for real estate in Vancouver, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's super user friendly. And it's available on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's right. If you're searching for Vancouver real estate and you're not using PCS, you're doing it wrong. That is just a, a fundamental fact of the Vancouver real estate market. If you want to talk about that or anything else, Give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Yeah, Matt. And on a a sad note, um, the real estate industry lost a a brilliant teacher, leader, and well-liked uh, figure in our in our industry, Fred Nathwani, um, who passed away earlier this week. So we just wanted to express our condolences and um, uh, yeah, Fred will be missed. Absolutely. Rest in peace. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House. 
a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 